Today, happiness is God's peace. God's peace. One of the paraphrases of this little phrase that you repeated with Pastor Messner a few moments ago goes like this. I have told you all this so that you will have peace of heart and peace of mind. I have told you all this so that you will have peace of heart and peace of mind. That was our Lord's desire for human beings, that they might have peace of heart and peace of mind. That was God's way of saying happiness can be found. How do you find it? Through Jesus Christ, who said, I've told you all of these things, that you might have peace of heart and peace of mind. The experience that I discover so often in pastoral ministry is the opposite of that as I deal with people. So many are experiencing inner turmoil. There is an upset in their spirit rather than an inner quiet and an inner poise that comes from peace of mind. I wonder how it is with you today. Joshua Liebman, author of a book called Peace of Mind, tells of an experience he had when he was a young boy. He said, I made a list of the supreme goods in life. I went to a wise man and I showed him the list, expecting to be praised for my ability to see these values at such an early age. The list went something like this, health, Love, talent, riches, beauty, faith. He reached for a stub of a pencil, this wise man, and carefully scratched through all of the things that I had listed. He said, young man, you may have all of these, health, love, faith, riches, beauty, but they will all turn out to be enemies instead of friends unless you have the one thing you miss." Then he wrote on the paper with his scrubby little pencil, the gift of an untroubled mind. He said, if you will have all of these other things, they will all turn out to be enemies unless you have this one thing you missed, the gift of an untroubled mind. These things I have told you so that you will have peace of heart and peace of mind. And John 14 says, Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. Don't let your heart be troubled. Don't let it be afraid. That is God's desire for every man, every woman, every young person in this building today. I have told you these things that you might have peace of mind and peace of heart. The big question of this service is how. So I want to talk to you about the how. That's what these messages are all about, the how of living. I like to be practical. I like to leave you something that you can live with and work with in the days ahead. Will you jot these things down? I'm encouraging you to take them with you. If you don't like to write, buy a tape and listen to this service again and again and again until these things are a part of your life. You will save us many hours of counseling if you will hear me this morning. 
in this huge counseling session called morning worship. There's therapy in these next 30 minutes. Here's the how to be happy and have God's peace. Number one, live in the now, N-O-W. Live in the now. Did you get that? Live in the now. Live in the reality of the present moment. Now, from where I am coming from, I see people living only in the present physically. By that I mean they are alive, their heart is beating, it is pumping blood through the arteries of their system. But they're not living in the now emotionally. Mentally, they are projecting themselves into tomorrow and into next year and into the years beyond next year. And that is killing them. It is robbing them of vitality, robbing them of health. We have an old saying, don't cross the bridge until you get to it. That's what I'm saying. Live in the now, not only physically, but emotionally and spiritually. Here is one of my great discoveries in life. The only thing I can be positive about in this life is this present moment, right now. I've got right now. And the moment I just had just slipped by. I only have now, and now, and now, and now. And I declare to you, I'm going to be happy right now. And I'm going to put God in my life right now. And tomorrow, I haven't gotten there yet. I'm going to take care of right now. God is here in this place. God is in my life. Jesus is alive. The Holy Spirit is real. He's heaven's agent taking care of us, ministering to us. Right now, I can live in this present moment. I can be healed now. I can be healthy now. I can be whole now if I live in the now and not an hour from now or two hours from now or tonight or tomorrow or next week or next year. I have now and that's all I've got. Now, you are saying, did I get up and go through all the effort to get here just to get that? That's some kind of a discovery. I'll say this to you. If you get a hold of that, you can be a whole person, and it won't cost you any more than it cost you to get to this building this morning. If you'll just get a hold of that one little thing, live in the now. I'm not talking out of somebody's psychiatrist's book, psych psychiatric book, somebody's psychology book. I'm talking to you out of life where I'm walking and talking with people and trying to help people. They live for tomorrow and next year and they're killing themselves. They never have any joy because they're always looking for something else. They don't live in the now. Jesus recognized and acknowledged everything that was happening while it was happening. Have you ever seen that in the, the Gospels? Take some time and read the Gospels through again. Look them over. He had a habit. He developed this practice. It was a matter of self-discipline with Jesus. He noticed the wheat growing, the roses blooming, the bird flying overhead, 
the lilies of the field. He noticed all of these things, talked about them, brought them to the, the, the attention of his disciples, and he said to them, look, look, look at the wheat, look at the lily, look at the roses, look at all of these things. Don't pass them by and not see them. Enjoy the now. I am with you right now. Enjoy me right now. The person next to you, that one you're going to meet in some moment called now, we pass them by and don't enjoy them in the moment called now. People say, if I only had a friend, and they never even talk to the person sitting next to them because they never enjoy now. They never live in this present moment. One wise man said, this moment and each moment in life is part of eternity. Enjoy it. That's right. Could this be a big part of marriage problems, work problems, school problems, never enjoying the present companion, the present house, the present job, the present grade in school? You understand what I'm saying? Does that help put it into context? People are always talking about, if I could get this job, if I could move to this house or this part of town, they never enjoy their present companion, their present parents, their present brother or sister, their present teacher, their present job. Always, oh, if, 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 if. And they're dying because they never enjoy now. We sing, this is the day the Lord hath made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. We never have sung in my memory, tomorrow is the day the Lord hath made. No, we sing, this is the day the Lord hath made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. One of the big problems in Exodus, the book of Exodus in the Bible, second book, the children of Israel were looking back. Moses, you dirty dog. That's my paraphrase. Don't find that in the Bible. It's not there, but that's what they said. You dirty dog. You led us out of Egypt, and it would have been far better for us to stay in Egypt and eat the leeks and the garlics and the onions and be under the bondage of the Pharaoh than to come out here and die in this wilderness like dogs. They... We're always going back, complaining, criticizing, griping, not enjoying the now. What about this moment called now? People who say one of these days things will be different. One of these days, what does that mean? One of these days, who knows what day? Who knows if we'll ever get that day or not, but we have now. You can do something about your life now, today, your marriage, your job, your health, your person, your spiritual life. You can do something about it now. God's given you now. He's led you here now. Live in the now. God's peace comes in the now. My peace I give unto you. He doesn't hold it in front of you and say now two, two, two days from now, two weeks from now, you'll get it two years from now. If you're good enough, he says, my peace I give unto you. Let not your heart be troubled. Don't let it be afraid. Live in the now. I'm here now to bless you and to encourage you and lift you and save you, forgive you, 
heal you. That's the way God works. Second point is eliminate thinking about many things at one time. Profound truth. Eliminate thinking about many things at one time. Dr. Meyer Friedman of San Francisco, an esteemed cardiologist, recently pointed out that the person who thinks about many things at one time is more susceptible to heart disease. Why all the heart attacks? I know about this one. I got a traffic ticket one day because of that, thinking about too many things at one time and not thinking about the thing I should have been thinking about. I had a thousand things running through my mind and that little needle was just moving right. I didn't even know it until I heard a little sound behind me and looked in my mirror and saw those little flashing things. The friendly patrolman reminded me I should have been thinking about one thing instead of many things. Cost me. It can be destructive to us in so many ways. I am told that a computer cannot work on two problems at one time. And if a computer can't work on two problems at one time, what do you think it does to you when you try it? What I'm told is that when you try to slip another problem into the computer, when there's already one in there, it goes crazy! Well, that's what happens to human beings. They go crazy. And there's all kinds of information in the newspaper that will tell you about how they go crazy and what happens to them. You see, a computer moves through one problem and then to the next, and that's the only way it can work. It handles one at a time. And that's the way God made us. Jesus said it this way, you can't serve two masters. It's impossible. You can't serve God and mammon. It's impossible. I've not made you to serve two masters. The lubricant of peace cannot flow through your mental computer if the channels are all clogged with various other materials. My peace I give unto you. I read about a production manager who was about to start an important job when the phone rang. And the phone call was about an overdue inventory report. So he buzzed his secretary for the inventory file. When she brought in the inventory file, she laid on his desk the mail for the day. A memo complaining about machine maintenance caught his eye in the pile of mail. He picked it up, read it, and became so concerned that he started for the machine shop immediately. As he walked down the hall, one of his supervisors intercepted him and asked him to sign a hiring request. That reminded him of another personnel problem, so he took the hiring request and headed for the personnel office. On the way, he passed the cafeteria, and the coffee smelled so good, he decided to interrupt his busy morning for a coffee break. Well, does this sound familiar? When the guy got through the day, he hadn't done anything. He hadn't done one of those things, not one. On his way to each one, he got sidetracked with another and another and another and another and never got any of them done. Every once in a while, we finish a busy, busy, busy day and sit down and say, what did I do today? And come up with a big fat zero. 
Take a few quiet moments at the end of each day and list the important jobs ahead. May I suggest that to you? One of my associates, I forget which one it was, said to me not too long ago, don't you ever make lists of things you're supposed to do? I never see you walking around with a list. I never see one on your desk. I say, yes, I make lists. You just don't see them. Well, he said, where are they? I said, they're in my head. At night, before I go to sleep, I chalk out the next day in my mind. I have to accomplish these things tomorrow. And they're just embedded there. I don't need a piece of paper. And I can just get rid of them one by one. And I get through one and I can move to two. And when I'm through two, I can go to three. And I'm never frustrated that way. And I'm just not going to add 10, 11, 12, 13, 14 when the next day starts. You see, I've already got my list. In a quiet moment, at the end of a day, you can make your list. Now, if you can't do it up there like I do it, I don't know why. I just have the ability to chalk it down somewhere up there, and I don't forget it. Some of you may need a long piece of paper. But my point is this. Take a few quiet moments and list the important things ahead. Which of them must be done tomorrow? And then going back to a sermon I preached here many months ago, do it! Two life-changing words. Do it! Not these 1,000 things I endeavor to do and I hope to do, but this one thing I do. That's the answer to God's peace. You eliminate thinking about many things at one time. You discipline yourself to think about one thing at a time and get through that and move to the next. And you'll be healthy and whole with Jesus' help. I got a letter this week from Dave and Rita Posey, who were with us for a good while here. Dave's in the service and was transferred to England a few weeks ago. They had a glowing letter to write. And I don't know if they were still here or if they heard it by tape, but they remembered the story of the young woman in our church who was trying to buy a car. You remember? I told you about it during the stewardship messages, and she was asking for God's will. The radio didn't work, and she mentioned to the person involved in selling the car that the radio didn't work. That's no problem, he said. It came back to her. She sat in the car and said, God, give me some direction that I'll know this is the car for me to buy. She turned the radio knob to see if the radio had been fixed, and out of the radio came, you asked for it, you got it, Toyota. She was sitting in a Toyota. You remember the story? Well, Dave and Rita Posey wrote from England and said, Pastor, you just wouldn't believe this. We needed a car so badly, and we were just trusting God to help us in this one thing and we sat in a car the other day thinking, is this the car for us? And we looked over in the corner of the window, and here was a sticker in the window that said, Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life. Seek the Lord while he may be found. And they sat there and laughed in the car as they thought about my story of the woman in our church who asked God for direction in the Toyota. And that verse on the window of that car said, this is my car. I give it to you now. It's yours. And they worked their way through that problem, and they were ready for the next when God said it's yours. That's the way to enjoy life. 
You eliminate thinking about many things and trust God to help you with that one thing. Number three, you develop a clean system. C-L-E-A-N, clean. You develop a clean system. Have you ever read about our space laboratories? They have a clean room. According to McDonnell Douglas, no particle will be able to pass through the air conditioning system of the clean room unless it's small enough to fit on the head of a needle. It is so refined, a clean room. Have you ever been into a hospital? Have you ever been asked to wash hands, put on a mask, a gown? I have many times. Why do they ask you to do that? Because they don't want any germs entering the room you're going into. And if that patient is susceptible to germs in any way, bacteria in any way, you cover your face, you cover your body, you wash your hands before you go in. Now, may I say to you that you should have a clean room at the entrance of your heart and at the entrance of your mind. Every one of us needs a clean room. You need security checks on what enters that room. Dear friends, I'm seeing so many people defeated because they don't have a clean room over their heart and over their mind. Let me illustrate it. They watch anything on television that comes on. They don't have the strength to get up and shut the knob or to change the channel. They let smut fill their mind, fill their heart. They walk into a drugstore and their eyes are attracted to the magazine counter. And they begin gorging themselves on the smut on the magazine counter. You have to have a clean room. You have to put a guard in front of your mind and a guard in front of your heart. You just don't watch any TV personality. You just don't walk into any movie house. I would suggest you not walk into any. Hello? I have yet somebody to tell me, oh, I've been so blessed by that movie. I feel so close to God because I went into that place. People can start telling me that. Maybe I'll change my preaching, but in the meanwhile, I think I'll stick to my guns. You've got to develop a clean room. I can't stand Johnny Carson. When he comes on, man, I'm done. Because I know before he gets through his dialogue, he's going to have some smart little story to tell, some smutty little remark. Johnny Carson needs to be reminded that every word we speak and every thought is accountable to God, and he's going to be reminded of all that dirt when he stands before the Almighty someday. He's influenced millions of people who don't have a clean room before their heart and their mind, led them down a trail of debauchery. Can't stand it. Don't need it. Can you imagine going to bed with Johnny Carson every night? Good night, shirt. Get smart. Get your Bible out and read it if you have trouble going to sleep. Put a clean room in your life. These words have I spoken to you that my peace might be yours. 
that you might have my kind of peace. There are some thoughts, some ideas, some practices in which you indulge that you are careless about checking out. And you're robbed of God's peace because it's these things that are filling your mind and filling your heart and filling your soul. Set up a clean room so that God lives there. Can you say, God, you're living there as I'm watching this, doing this. You're living there. You're in that room, God. It's your dwelling place. No wonder the psalmist cried, Create in me a clean heart, O God. What he was saying was, God, help me to ever have a clean room so that there's not one particle of sin and one particle of dirt that can enter into my heart and enter into my mind and destroy my relationship with you and my peace with you. Do you have a clean room? Number four, live by the calendar and not by the clock. We mortals are good at making mountains out of molehills. Sometime today, why don't you go home and look at a calendar? That calendar is divided into 12 months. We often look at it as 365 days and it becomes burdensome. But it's divided into 12 months. They're broken up into 12 months. Years ago, I discovered it. You can't get to August until you get through July. Hallelujah! And God intended it to be that way. Let's learn to say a year from now, what will matter? What will really matter? I don't know if I've told you or not, but my wife, before we were married, had a roommate in Bible school by the name of Betty Shigner. Betty used to say to me, Glenn, a hundred years from now, you'll never know the difference. And I got to thinking about that, and you know it's really true. A hundred years from now, I'll never know the difference. So why should I see, be so beat down by the clock this day, this thing that's so burdensome to me, when the year has 12 months in it? What I may not accomplish in July, with God's help, I can get to in August. See what I mean? Some get upset and lose their emotional poise when after washing their car, the rain begins to fall. Have you met folk like that? They say, I knew it! God doesn't care about my effort washing my car. He let the rain come. A minister had just started his Sunday morning sermon when there was thunder and lightning and rain pouring down in torment, torrents. They heard it on the roof of the church. And the minister stopped and he said to the congregation as they started thinking about their cars and they had washed them and all of that sort of thing, he said to the congregation, isn't the Lord wonderful? While all of us sit in here dry and comfortable, he's out there washing all of our cars for us. What you think is so upsetting today is just like trotting by and a year from now nobody will even think about it. A year from now you won't even be able to remember it. It will be so insignificant, infinitesimal. A year from now, you won't even think about it. Why get upset over those things that happen today that you feel are not right and good for you? Live by the calendar, not by the clock. God has ordered our year so that it's broken up into 12 parts. The year from now, we'll never know the difference. Probably. Finally, number five, 
Make peace with eternity. Make peace with eternity. Romans 5, 1 says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, being justified, we have peace. What does justified mean? It's a big theological word meaning just as if I'd never sinned. That sounds too incredible to believe, Pastor. No, it's not too incredible to believe. It just means that you change your sins for his salvation. You exchange your rottenness for his wholeness. You exchange your weakness for his strength. Jesus said in Luke 10, 20, Rejoice because your names are written in heaven. Rejoice! My peace I give unto you. You're justified by faith through the Lord Jesus Christ, just as if you had never sinned. That's what really matters, is that you know your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. Charlie Hudson was riddled with cancer. He was a big, tall, handsome guy strong and in charge of life when cancer hit him. And I visited him time and again. And I saw every visit, his body again being racked with pain, becoming emaciated. But no matter what time of day I visited Charlie, no matter how much pain was in his body, Charlie Hudson was all, would always look up and say, Praise the Lord! You know Why? He had peace with God. He had God's peace. He was in tune with the eternal. He made peace with eternity. And he could always say, praise the Lord. I remember Willard Spencer of our own congregation. Willard, week after week, getting closer to eternity. We would go in to encourage him and lift him, and we would go away encouraged and lifted because of Willard Spencer, always talking about the love of God, the love of Jesus, the power of the Holy Spirit. You could never go into that room without being different. Willard Spencer had made peace with eternity. This morning in my study, the phone rang. I picked it up. It was one of the members of the Olympia Church where I pastored before coming here. She said, Pastor Cole, I just thought you ought to know that George Spar died last night, had a massive heart attack and slipped into eternity. I laid the phone down and thought about my dear friend George Spar, treasurer of our church for years, member of our board, dear friend who worked side by side with me for not one dime for years while we built buildings and ran that great operation in Olympia and never asked for anything but an opportunity to serve God. Couldn't help but think about him today as I thought of him walking the streets of heaven knowing he's there because George Spar had made peace with eternity. And though last night his journey ended here, he's having a ball because he made peace with eternity long ago. One of Pope John's prayers was this. Lord, I need only one thing in this world, to know myself and to love God. Give me, Heavenly Father, your love and your peace. With these I am rich enough and desire nothing more. Sweet and humble heart of Jesus, make my heart like yours. Amen. My peace I give unto you. 
You feel it? Have you made peace with eternity? That's where it begins, really. And then you begin to put the practical aspects of this message to work in your life. Norman Vincent Peale tells the story as I close this message about when he was a boy. His father had been a medical doctor and then went into the ministry. And one day he received a call to the red light district of Cleveland. And Mr. Peel said to his son, Norman, Norman, it's about time you learned a little bit about life. I want you to come with me. Norman, as a boy, slipped along with his father, and they drove to the red light district of Cleveland, up rickety stairs, where a woman met them at the top and showed them to a room where there was a skinny, frail young lady lying in a dirty little room. Her eyes were hollow, her skin was pale. Norman said she must have been in her 20s. Her breath came in gentle little gasps. The girl's eyes stared at my father, he said, as he approached the bed. The father knew the case was serious and said to Norman, she does not have long to live. He picked up her frail little hand and held it in hers, or in his, and tears filled her eyes. And she said to Norman Vincent Peale's father, Sir, I was raised in a Christian home. How did I ever get here? Oh, will God ever forgive me? Can I be saved? Her small body trembled with convulsions, and Dr. Peale's father said, Little lady, do you love Jesus? With weeping eyes, she nodded, Yes. Can you with sincerity repeat this prayer? Jesus, I know you just love to forgive sinners. Will you forgive me now? She looked up and repeated it. Jesus, I know you just love to forgive sinners. Will you forgive me now? Amen. Norman Vincent Peale said, I shall never forget it. The most beautiful peace came over that lovely girl's face. Moments later, she was gone. Make peace with eternity. As I read that story and that little line in his prayer, Jesus, I just know you love to forgive sinners. I thought of how hard we make it. We come to God and say, God, I know you've got it against me, and I know this is really going to be hard. I know you don't want me to have your peace and your forgiveness and your blessing. Let's try to fight this thing through, God. That's not the way it is at all. Jesus, I just know you love to forgive sinners. He's waiting. He's anxious. He's ready. He wants to give you his peace. Will you follow these points and be healthy and be whole? You don't have to spend all that money on doctors and psychiatrists and psychologists and pills and this and that. You can have Jesus. You can have the gospel. And it will heal you. Make peace with eternity today. Jesus just loves to forgive sinners. And he loves to help Christians who are weak. He loves to make them strong. You will just let him. These things have I spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. You won't find it in the world, but you'll find it in him. He's the peace giver. It's one of the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, and peace. Receive it in the name of Jesus as we bow our heads in prayer. Father, hear my prayer. 
people have come to church today troubled, anxious. May they leave with the peace of God in their heart and in their mind, free, free, free in Jesus. Sweep over this congregation with healing power. Heal husbands, heal wives, children, youth, businessmen, salespeople, mechanics, cooks, beauticians, teachers, housewives, students, Jesus, you care about us. Reach down and touch us. Peace, peace, wonderful peace coming down from the Father above. Sweep over my spirit forever, I pray, in fathomless billows of love. Lift your hand if you need to and sing it again. Peace, peace, wonderful peace coming down from the Father above. Sweep over my spirit I feel led to pray for a missionary that's going to be listening to this sermon by tape. And my heart is strangely moved for whoever that missionary is. Broken. Hurting. Wondering. Groping. Lord Jesus, whoever that is and wherever they are, be merciful to them. And as their ears hear this prayer, may their heart feel the peace of God. And over them, may there come fathomless billows of peace and love. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus, that you care that much for us. God, while we sit in this service, before we rise to leave, I do pray that up through that balcony up there, those kids way up there in the 
extra lost. God touched them way up there in the corners. Lord, back under the balcony, clear down to the front, choir members up behind me, maybe even staff members who need something special in this gospel meeting. May they receive it as they just reach up and take hold of that nail-pierced hand. My peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. We receive your healing presence, the forgiveness of our sins, that we can have peace with eternity because of the blood of Jesus shed on that cross for us. We receive it. Hallelujah. 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 Who would like to get up out of their seat and get out into an aisle and come and meet my associates down here in front who have come to church troubled, maybe filled with sin, but you know Jesus Christ has met you in these last few seconds. He's manifesting his presence to you. I've got some things I'd like to give you to help you in your Christian walk. I'd just like you to get up. You know you need to come. The Spirit of God has been drawing you.